Welcome and thank you for downloading the Green Majority Podcast. There's basically no announcements this week. Just enjoy the show. A quick reminder, if you can be a a member and support the show to help us pay for some of the new services we're bringing online, that would be great. You can do that. Uh, Recommended donation slash membership is $5 a month. Uh, You can put in any amount, though. You can do that at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority. Aside from that, enjoy this week's show. It's called The Other Green Majority for a Reason. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll talk to you real soon. Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, which means it's a Friday if you're listening live or some other date if you're not, whatever date that might be. Time? Oh, man. Stefan and I have been having so much fun with time travel, but he's not here. You know who is here, though, which is really exciting, is Tim again. Our friend Tim Nash is in the studio. Welcome, Tim. Thanks. My name is kind of like time. That's true. It's the autocorrect. I I get a lot of emails where it's like, hi, time. (laughs) Uh, I think two or three of those might have been for me. It's possible. Um, But so Stefan is is away again for good reason. Uh, But uh, we're always, uh, it's always a pleasure to have Tim instead, if not in addition. Um, So today it's instead. Tim will be joining us again. Uh, We had him on a few weeks ago to help me co-host. He is co-hosting again today, but also because uh, the investment fair, the good investment fair is coming up very soon. And uh, it is our pleasure to help share that opportunity with the listeners because uh, those of you in Toronto or greater Toronto area who might be able to come down, it's a really cool uh, place to do some really good learning. And we're going to dig into that a little bit later, but I just wanted to tease that that's a, that's a big part of why Tim's here today. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited to tell you what I've got in store. Yeah, it's going to be great. And uh, and I'm, I happen to, as uh, longtime listeners will know, that I actually work at the Center for Social Innovation. You're holding it at the Center for Social Innovation, yeah. which means I'll be there as an employee because I'll be working while it's all going on. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so uh, Tim's here. Tim is also going to help us talk to Jennifer, and I'm afraid I, I blanked on the last name. Uh, McDonald. McDonald. Jennifer McDonald from CoPower, who is going to be at the fair uh, and is also uh, working in the space in the in the investment, uh, good investment uh, space as well. So we'll, we'll be talking to Tim in the middle. We'll be hearing uh, with Tim. Will help me talk to Jennifer from CoPower at the end of the program. But coming up right now, we have on the phone, I believe already, Carolyn Tinglin, uh, who is the president of the National Association of Cannabis Professionals which is one of the emails that I get. I think uh, there's two common uh, emails I get that are inaccurate. One of them is people assuming for some bizarre reason that because we have the word green in our title that we're associated with the official Green Party of Canada. And the other one is people assuming that we're a show about pot. Uh, So this is the only week where that will make sense uh, because we're going to actually be talking about marijuana today. Give the people what they want. That's right. (laughs) After 10 years of doing my show, I've just given in and we're just going to do, we're just going to make, change our topic. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Carolyn. Thank you. Thanks for letting me be here. So the the primary reason why we're having this discussion now, I've I've wanted to have it for a while, is because of course uh, Canada is is getting ready to to decriminalize and and legalize and regulate and tax 
uh, marijuana at the federal level. Um, and But the reason that this is sort of relevant to our show, uh, and I will sort of help uh, get us started here a little bit, uh, is because uh, there is an immense, and this is one of the things that get lost in it, not only, and we're going to get to unpack a lot of this stuff, but just to sort of like an, as an opening statement about the topic, um, there's a lot of environmental benefits to hemp and to hemp products and to things associated with it. There's a lot of medical benefits. And primarily, really what it comes down to is the reason, well, why is it illegal if it's so awesome? Uh, well, it's a one word answer, which is racism. It's basically that simple. Uh, the short story of, of why hemp was originally made uh, illegal was because it was, well, it was used in all sorts of industrial practices. It was made to make rope and it was a big part of the war effort during the world wars uh, for all sorts of things. In fact, the government itself was, was using it for all sorts of purposes, including rope very, very uh, profitable. And then uh, somebody who invested heavily in timber uh, was associated with, uh, whose wife was associated with prohibition, uh, decided that, well, now there's no alcohol prohibition and uh, we can uh, we can make our, we're, we've heavily invested in paper. Uh, and so basically there was, it was a conspiracy. There's no other word for it. Um, they lobbied to have it made illegal. And the reason why the answer is racism was because it was, it made those crazy Mexicans and uh, African-Americans violent and this is where the whole uh, crazy the weed craze came from and so we've now had decades of uh, lies about this very useful substance this very uh, environmentally friendly substance uh, and very medically relevant substance and we're finally I think coming to our senses Carolyn and this is where I'm going to ask you to finally say something and jump in uh, that was sort of my my intro but you of course spend all of your time talking and thinking about these these topics so I would like you to um, to add to that and and to, to tell us a little bit more about the environmental benefits of hemp Sure. Um, just a, a quick correction, and again, thanks for having me. Um, decriminalization is sort of on the table, but it hasn't been um, added officially uh, to the act. I know that the um, the government was looking for feedback from um, Canadians to, to see, you know, whether or not uh, a certain aspect of decriminalization would be okay with them, and that aspect was basically allowing people who had minor possession charges uh, to be, you know, basically pushed through security clearance. So, for example, if somebody wanted to work at a production facility or even um, work in retail, for example, if they had a minor possession charge, still allowing them to to work in those environments. And uh, the the talk of expunging records for minor possession hasn't really been um, put on the table. And I know when Prime Minister Trudeau was asked about this decriminalization aspect, he said if, if it does happen, it's not happening until after right. um, legalization. So we're, you know, a little bit disappointed about that. But yes, when I did lots see and lots of benefits. I, I don't have the article in front of me, Carolyn, but I did see in the last week that uh, I, uh, I believe California is is actually wiping out criminal records for at least some they period are. of time. Yeah. yeah, they are. They are, and they started that journey a little while ago. And there are a couple of other states that are uh, seriously looking into that and, and following suit. Um, uh, but again, slow in coming, but super duper um, important. I think Georgia was another state that was uh, that was contemplating that and, and really pushing for that. Um, as well, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and we'll and we'll spend a little bit of time on sort of the the social justice and the the uh, lack of justice really um, aspect on that as well. But as I said, I wanted I want to focus uh, uh, primarily, at least at the at the beginning here, on sort of the environmental aspects. So one of the things we were talking about there was uh, the medical uh, was a, a big area of conversation of uh, usefulness, and the other one is just using it as a commercial product. Is uh, one of the things that it's very easy to find if you do a little bit of research on the internet is that hemp is uh, very strong material can be used to make a variety of things and takes very little water very little chemical pesticide it's a much uh, more environmentally friendly plant to use and this is one of many reasons why people have been um, very anxious to to drop this sort of facade of this evil you know evil gateway drug or evil drug uh, is because even aside from the medical uses there it's just really it's a really great plant <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, a lot of different uses, as you said, um, a, a much smaller footprint um, in terms of, of growth, water use, um, emissions, that kind of thing. Um, there has been quite uh, a bit of talk about, um, you know, some of the uh, challenges, I won't call them problems, but um, some of the challenges that uh, that growers have in terms of um, producing other parts of the plant and um, outdoor growth as well as indoor growth as well. But um, it would be really nice to see, uh, you know, and I know Health Canada has made a, a bit of a jump on this, um, but it would be really nice to see that pushed a little bit more and that uh, right now, THC and CBD are the shining stars, and so the media tends to focus on that um, as opposed to, uh, you know, industrial hemp. And it would be really nice to, to kind of see that um, explored a little bit more, a little more uh, research. Um, but I know that um, Health Canada does uh, have actually... Um, a really great website um, for individuals who, and Health Canada takes the position that, you know, hemp is more on an agricultural um, level, um, and unfortunately with, uh, with the CBD and THC and um, cannabis producers, um, they're kind of struggling with that. They're not really pushing that side of it and forcing a lot of um, talk and information about how uh, terrible their footprint is and how terrible the quality of uh, cannabis is uh, when it's grown indoors, when it's grown commercially. Um, but yeah, Health Canada is really kind of uh, has a, a very good website um, that talks about how to grow the seeds and the uh, regulations as well as industrial hemp benefits. Um, and uh, we're, we're hoping that that'll kind of come to the forefront a little bit more um, than the, the other parts of the plant. And so, uh, Carolyn, I, I assume that you probably spend more of your time talking about the medical aspect. So I, was, I wanted to give you an opportunity to get into that a little bit. If, if people are maybe uh, feeling maybe they're, they've they've never used it or this was not something they're familiar with and they're a little bit maybe concerned about the, the law change, do you want to just take a minute to sort of do your elevator pitch on, on, uh, on the medical aspect? <laughs> Sure. Well, I mean, medical cannabis has been around, or the medical cannabis uh, program has been around for a while. It's changed names. Uh, it's uh, done, again, primarily through Health Canada. They've taken, um, basically taken the majority of the responsibility for issuing 
uh, medical cannabis licenses. The latest license is called the ACMPR. Um, we're not 100% sure how long this license will uh, last because the task force has suggested that it eventually be phased out. So in order to be a medical patient and use medical marijuana, you have to have an ACMPR uh, license to do so. Um, it basically uh, provides you with uh, access to medical marijuana, uh, whether you are uh, growing it yourself or you are going to a doctor and getting a prescription so that you can get, um, well, I shouldn't say prescription, I'll call it a script, so that you can get uh, medicines directly from licensed producers. So the program is set up so that medical cannabis clients can um access medical cannabis directly from the licensed producers and so there's no real middle person there we're 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 seeing in different provinces that they may that you know that setup uh may be different we're, we're also hearing federally um there may be a, a few changes to that but for the most part for right now that's how that works um there are many people who use medical cannabis because uh they found that um, synthetic and commercial pain medications, for example, that's commonly uh, uh, very often why people use it. But um, if we're talking about pain management, some people uh, have debilitating conditions that are not managed well by, um, you know, regular drugs or even Schedule II drugs. Uh, and so they are uh, looking for something that doesn't have as many side effects um, and looking for something that is a little bit more holistic and natural in, in nature and um, when we're talking about pain management cannabis can be um, a, a definite alternative for that and of course you know um, people who have conditions um, that are quite painful and uncomfortable uh, don't necessarily uh, need or want uh, a high level of THC in their product and so there are quite a few CBD products that that really help with uh, with the pain management, and that's um, that's basically how that works. So, um, for folks who feel that they want an alternative to um, synthetic medications, or they've you know tried for quite some time and they've got chronic conditions that are uh, quite debilitating, they they can go to their doctor um, and talk to their doctor, their family doctor, about um, that option. Unfortunately, a lot of family doctors in Canada and the position uh, that the um, College of Physicians and Surgeons has right now is that they, they don't really recommend to their members to um, manage pain with uh, the use of cannabis at this time. And so there are very, very few doctors um, that are kind of pro um holistic management, pro-cannabis uh, pain management, for example. Um, so sometimes it can be challenging for folks. Uh, I think with legalization, people who are medicinal cannabis clients, um, they're concerned that this you know, huge push for recreational cannabis is going to kind of leave them high and dry, and, and um, that's you know, a, a pretty big concern. But um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Right now, where we, where we sit, we have kind of challenges in some respects in terms of accessing cannabis uh, for medicinal use um, but the program has been around for a while and, and uh, there are health clinics that are out there not a whole lot of them uh, but do have doctors who are um, willing to assess and, and uh, prescribe uh, cannabis uh, medicines but unfortunately there, there are just not a lot of them around and we really do have to 
turn the, the stigma around a little bit about uh, how cannabis is used and what the benefits of cannabis are. But there are plenty, quite a few, that have been uh, you know uh, researched and uh, and verified and um, both in the United States and in Canada. But pain is is one of the biggies. Yeah, and I can, uh, th- and I, I'm going to apologize to both you and our, our listeners for a moment. This is possibly too much information, but I'm going to provide you with some, uh, <laughs> provide everyone with some personal information here because I think a, a practical example is useful. Uh, I had major surgery for cancer last year. They removed my large intestine, um, and most of the drugs when I left uh, surgery, they gave me a big uh, bottle of hydromorphone, which is a, a synthetic version of morphine, uh, which his biggest side effect, aside from being a hell of a painkiller, is constant. To patient. Yeah. So you can imagine, uh, if you use your imaginations for a few minutes, why that might be a problem. So uh, for me, there really is no alternative. I have not taken a single pill out of that bottle. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there really are, you know, for people, because I understand that people may not, well, they will, you know, what situation could this be, you know, useful for? And it, well, that, that's just one example. Uh, Tim, Tim is yeah, uh, looking to jump in. I can just jump in because I think it's a really interesting uh, aspect, is, you know, when we look at, at with legalization coming in, um, I think there has been this stigma. I don't think anyone would deny that. And when I look at a lot of the medical applications, uh, in, from my perspective, there just there hasn't been enough testing done. So I guess what I'm really interested in, with Canada stepping up as a, sort of a global leader in this legalization process, uh, do you see more opportunities when it comes to research and development? Will this normalize it a little bit for things like clinical studies, university studies, or indeed I can think of potentially sort of a million different side uses uh, once we remove that stigma? And am I right in thinking that this is the first step towards sort of normalization and and could put Canada on the path to being a, a, a real global leader when it comes to uh, developing new health products? Absolutely. And some of the, uh, so the, the government has set aside a certain amount of um, money towards research now that it's going to be uh, legalized. Some universities have already kind of gone ahead and, and started their foray into that area. So Guelph University is one of them. I believe UBC is also taking a look at uh, certain studies. And and I think many of these studies are uh, kind of starting off with user experiences or consumer experiences. So uh, you are absolutely right. We've had challenges in the past because of it not being legal (laughs) uh, for the most part, at least from a recreational standpoint, um, to actually kind of find out um, how people are using uh, cannabis and um, from a medicinal standpoint, there just isn't enough research out there in terms of efficacy, uh, but there are some. I won't say that there's no research out there because it definitely is, um, but in terms of the volume comparing the amount of research to the number of people who actually are cannabis consumers, it's fairly small, but we do see that the government um, is setting aside research dollars. And so um, I definitely see that in the future we will become a, uh, a leader in that space and, and universities and post-secondary institutions are, are absolutely jumping on board. And um, I've always you know, said you know, if, we, if we can't do clinical studies right away, um, partially because um, cannabis does work differently in different people, uh, that's one of the biggest challenges. Um, 
And so um, measurement of cannabis and, and that kind of thing, we've really got to figure out how, what we want to study specifically, and then how, what would be the best way to study that. But I've always advocated for um, studies that, you know, are very uh, consumer-based. So um, studies that are, are kind of talking about and, and sharing uh, consumer experiences. So, you know, what has your experience been with this particular type and this particular strain under these particular circumstances? But I think narrowing that down, that's been a big challenge for science. Um, but with the studies that we do have, we absolutely know um, people do get prescriptions uh, for cannabis for things like glaucoma. I mentioned pain before, nausea. So, um, I think uh, also uh, epilepsy is a big one as well. And we do see that. Um, there's a, a large push for more um, research in, in those particular areas, but then we will definitely branch out uh, from there. All right. Uh, Carolyn, we're, we are basically out of time, but I want to squeeze in one more uh, quick one if you uh, if we can uh, sort of just uh, uh, spend just a, a minute before we have to go here on it. Again, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Carolyn Tinglin from the president of the National Association of Cannabis Professionals. Uh, and Carolyn, just before we go here, does the NACP have, uh, it's sort of, uh, I wasn't clear from, from talking to you um, if the NACP sort of as an organization has a position on the recreational use, are you mostly concerned with the medical uses? Are you just add, uh, you know, position is this should just be legal across the board? As an organization, where do you fall on that component? Because the reason I'm asking is because, uh, as we've just alluded to, the medical issue, I feel like, is, is frequently clouded by the recreational use issue. And I just wanted to know, as an organization, what your sort of stance on that relationship is. Well, we, we thank you. We believe that um, cannabis is therapeutic. So whether you're using it for recreational purposes or medicinal purposes. It has a therapeutic effect. It interacts with your body in, a, in certain ways. It interacts with other medications that you may be using or other substances that you may be using. And for that reason, um, we feel it's really, really important um, that the people who are interacting with the public are knowledgeable. They're competent. Um, they are not just service oriented, but they are able to advise and consult and, and coach people on how to use cannabis. And that's really what our association is about. So whether it's medicinal, you know, whether these are in a medicinal environments or recreational environments, it's really about making sure that the people who are advising the public um, have what it takes, have the competence and have the knowledge and skills that it takes to um, effectively and properly advise so that they're using cannabis safely. So we're really mostly just about um, safe cannabis use, whether it's for medicinal purposes or recreational purposes, and and uh, really want to get that message out there that you know we're the folks, we're the professionals in the business <laughs> that are that are advising people, you know, and coaching people on how to use how to use these products safely. Yeah. All right. Well, Carolyn, we're going to have a link on our show post today that will link to your website. So if our listeners have uh, further questions or if they want to uh, perhaps send you an email or just look up more information, we'll have links to that as well. Uh, aside from that, uh, again, uh, thank you for your time. Uh, we've been speaking to uh, uh, Carolyn Tinglin, uh, who's the president of the Can uh, National Association of Cannabis uh, Professionals, uh, and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Wonderful talking with you. All right. Have a great day. And uh, we're going to move on now. Uh, Tim will be joining me again for the rest of the show. Tim will be back. We're going to talk about the Good Investment Fair right after the break uh, when we come back. But first, uh, Stephen is going to, uh, we're going to pop over to the tech booth and he's going to tell us what our music break is. Hey, we'll be listening to Take the Long Way by Pogrel. Let's try. 
we are back. You're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, or our wonderful one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners internationally, but particularly across Canada, uh, and our podcast listeners, which occasionally get a little extra treats, and will soon be getting more treats because we have uh, we're going to be bringing some new team members on soon. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know what I'm talking about, and if you haven't, well, I'm not going to tell you because you have to go listen to the podcast, don't you? Uh, so you can check that out at greenmajority.ca or just search for Green Majority Radio on iTunes. You can find us there and you get uh, occasionally little bonuses. Once in a while, a really decent bonus. And the worst case scenario is it's the same thing. So what do you have to lose? <laughs> um, with an extra like 45 seconds of me talking. Uh, Tim knows all about that because Tim, uh, Tim's been around. Tim is now in the studio with me. Tim Nash uh, is the, oh, I keep forgetting what you asked me to call you, the president of, no. The <laughs> sure. I, I'm the founder of Good <laughs> founder Investing. of Good Investing. That's, yes. And uh, this was uh, uh, a new sort of rebranded product, I guess. How would you say? Yeah. Because we've known you for quite some time, so yeah. I'm not sure how so to I'm talk about So I'm still the sustainable economist. Sometimes right. people get a little bit upset. Right? <laughs> I really like my Superman branding, especially the sort of more hardcore environmentalists. Really right. like that there was a superhero on their side. So I'm still the sustainable economist. But what I found was that that branding, that worked great for a blog. I can have a lot of fun on my blog. I can say whatever I want and mm. talk about these things in a produ- provocative manner. Uh, but it didn't lend itself well to a financial services company. So I went through a quite intensive rebranding effort. <laughs> Not the most fun thing if you're an economist, but uh, I learned a lot. Uh, learned a lot about my custom, my clients, my target demographic, listened to them so much, came out with this beautiful new brand called Good Investing and have a nice, simple sales website. Mm-hmm. So instead of all the kind of the deeper dive and the nerdiness of my Sustainable Economist blog, now it's a really simple website where people can go and learn a little bit more about the service offer that I actually provide, Mm. which is investment coaching. So I'm not a manager. I'm not a broker. I never touch my clients' money. Uh, You don't give people advice. I don't give people advice, but I I do provide research. Mm -hmm. So I know all these uh, uh, and all the research, all the products out there. And I can provide coaching, which is what I find that people actually need coaching more than they need advice when it comes to a lot of these things. I mean, the markets, the last week has been uh, kind of tumultuous. We have a return to volatility. Things are down for the first time in quite a while. And it's really interesting to see the psychological impact of that and how oftentimes what people really need is just someone to be like, hey, like, do nothing, like stick to the plan. Right. And just to have that stability that we're in this for the long term, Mm. that uh, oftentimes people just need that little bit of coaching, especially in these times where our emotions uh, can quite easily get the best of us. And would it it be fair, Tim, with respect to your situation specifically, would it be fair to say that, like, uh, you know, the differentiation there, the delineation there would be that, you know, advice would be like, do you prefer apples or oranges? And you say you should definitely get oranges. And and coaching is more like, well, what types of things do you enjoy? And you sort of you help people come to their own decisions. Figure it out. And that's rather it. than pushing them to one. And yeah. that's it. And I think so often, like the default setting for, for people and their money is just to walk into the bank, kind of meet someone in a suit and just hand over their money sort of blindly. And the, the sad reality is, uh, I think it's about 80% of Canadians still invest using mutual funds. And really, when you're talking to a, a, an advisor from a bank, if they're working for a bank, they're only going to tell you the branded products. So they're going to try to you know, give you the RBC branded Apple. 
and you know they're they're not even going to talk about the oranges or let alone all the other types of apples that are there they're going to give you that one specific apple and it just so happens that that's the apple that pays them the highest commission <laughs> right. right so really well, what i'm able to do right they can correct. call themselves whatever they want but you they're got sales it, but they're selling you got it and so what i'm able to do is basically like hold your hand walk with you as you go around the market evaluating the different apples oranges hey maybe there are some other fruits in the market as well mm -hmm. that you might want to consider uh looking at the different styles looking at the different things that are there helping you understand them um and and that really empowering you to make the decision about what investment products are right for you and then from there it does get a little it gets a little complicated just in the sense there's again this psychological barrier when it comes to things like filling out the paperwork and setting up the accounts and transferring your money in and then actually making the trades you have to go online and you have to punch in the ticker symbol and it's kind of nerve-wracking the analogy i use is it's like the first time you ever bought anything online using your credit card <laughs> right like the first time you bought a plane ticket online you're like oh no what am i doing i'm giving this person this company my credit card information it feels weird and then you do it and you're like oh my goodness that was so easy I'm <laughs> never ever gonna call my travel agent ever again obviously I'm gonna do it myself it's faster it's easier I have more customization I get to decide things for myself so there are all these benefits you know the biggest ones being lower costs so lower mm. fees and and also uh, we can do it but based on your definition of sustainability or you know what things you want to exclude what co evil companies you want to kick out of your portfolio and and then also bringing things in that you are excited about mm. so you know and that's really kind of what I want to talk about today is that I find when it comes to investing you know everyone it's this big concept and again it can get kind of scary and it's very very normal but it can be kind of fun to find something you know find a hook that people are passionate about and then use that as a way to get people excited so as a bit of a segue from the last segment, you know, a question I've been getting a lot lately is investing in cannabis companies. Like this is a thing, it's been a black market for a long time. Uh, Stats Canada is now like has to do the math on this. Right, we know there's the demand size. and yeah. that the demand isn't going anywhere. And it's in Canada, they're finding it's bigger than beer. Oh, easily. The, the market for cannabis is, we think, we don't know for sure, because it's still based on estimates and assumptions, but we're pretty sure it's bigger than the market for beer, right. which is pretty massive. And so there are, uh, I, I, I love these things called the ETFs, exchange traded funds. These are diversified funds. So I buy one share of uh, this uh, exchange traded fund and I get exposure to a whole bunch of different companies. So diversifi diversification for me is is awesome. And there are now cannabis ETFs that you can buy on the stock market. So it's been really interesting. These things are risky. So they're much, much smaller companies than the companies we'd normally invest in in the stock market. And obviously, as a sector, it's it's very, very volatile. A lot of the these regulatory changes, we don't know for sure the rules and what's going to come out and when they're going to come out and, you know, all these different impacts. Uh, but it has been really interesting. You know, if I get a client who's really passionate, about investing in cannabis. We can carve out part of their portfolio. Certainly we wouldn't want to put a big chunk of their money in because again, these things are a little bit riskier. But by carving out part of their portfolio for uh, for this type of investment, it can kind of get them excited and they can start to watch it and, and kind of see see what happens. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, even that that's some, something that got me, uh, we were just talking really quickly on the break, where it's like, I don't have any, I, I'm in debt, so I'm not in a position to be doing large investing, but the, but there's that still th that thing of, or really, I shouldn't be doing any, but there's a, there's a degree right. of like, 
you know, novelty around it. Whereas like, I don't, I wouldn't do it because of like, oh, this is my nest egg where I'm going right. to, nothing, none of that, but it just sort of like some skin in the game, like sure. a little bit, like it just seems fun. And, and for me, uh, the idea of cannabis and a little bit of political there and like not a, because as I said, jokingly, but also completely seriously, there's, we know their demand's not going anywhere. So right. someone's going to make a lot of money. We just don't know who it we is. We don't know who it is. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe, you know, maybe it won't, you know, the government will find a way that you can't, you know, it, anyway, we don't, who knows yeah. what's going to happen with that. Um, but it's more that, that thing of like, well, it seems like a thing that everyone's doing that's all the cool kids are doing it and right. but i don't know how to do it myself so it seems yeah. scary and afraid and so yeah. i mean essentially i'm like someone in a similar position someone with slightly more money than me essentially is the ideal person to be talking to you <laughs> well yeah slightly more yeah we might want to get you with a budget first <laughs> let's take a look at your debt repayment schedule but there's you know if as long as we're on track there and and, and we are making decisions there's nothing wrong from uh in terms of paying back your debt and making some investments mm -hmm. so it's not an either or it can be a both and depending on your situation. Um, but it's really interesting. You know, I do get asked about cannabis a fair bit. My concern around it is that I'm worried that the product itself uh, is essentially a commodity. And mm. I don't know if you know what a commodity is, but that's like things like it's physical things. So like oil is a commodity, metals, a wheat, so agricultural products. There's a, always a joke about like pork belly futures, right? Like that would be a commodity. Um, and so the thing is right now, cannabis, because it's been black market, um, it's it's been probably selling at a premium at a slightly higher price. Um, my biggest fear is that a lot of the, the cannabis companies in Canada are growers. They make money by growing and selling. And if you get someone like Philip Morris coming into this industry, they know how to grow a lot of plants. And they already right? have a lot of land and yeah. resources. And, and that if they come into this in a big way, what we could see is that if cannabis becomes a commodity, the prices could drop substantially. Hey, not bad for consumers, not bad for medical researchers, you know, if anyone that's that's buying the plant itself. Not great economics for the growers themselves because mm. now they're the ones getting squeezed. Well, and I would, if I may jump in for a minute, sure. uh, one of the things that we saw with uh, tobacco here is that currently the price of tobacco, I, 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 don't, I, haven't, I haven't smoked cigarettes in a while and, I've, and it's been an even longer since I paid yep. attention to taxes, but something somewhere in around, at least at some point in the recent past, uh, 80, somewhere near 80% of the price you're paying uh, right. is taxes. Right. So we may end up with, with a situation where not only yeah. does the price drop out the floor, uh, but we actually end up still paying yeah. lots because it's it's you know 80% tax or something like sure. that. So the, the consumers may not even benefit. Well, that's directly, possible, and especially in Ontario, because it is going to be a government monopoly. So that absolutely could be the case. Um, I think my guess is in the short term, as they come into it, they're going to have to price out the black market. So I think there's going to be a really funny little competitive angle here where you've got uh, sort of the, the government monopoly selling at a certain price. And then the black market is probably going to have to come in and undercut that price if they want to stay in the market. And be funnily part of enough, that. Uh, today, so we'll Stats Canada released uh, the review of a study. I don't know if you saw mm -hmm. this. It was out today mm -hmm. with the uh, 15,000 people sampled across Canada on okay. uh, surveying them on their black market uh, prices. Yeah. And the average price paid per gram in Canada is approximately seven dollars. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, we'll they'll see. have to beat that. To, exactly. To so well, and so we'll see. And now all of a sudden, but again, back to the point you made earlier about racism sort of driving the mm -hmm. uh, illegal uh, aspect of it, that unfortunately, you know, there's a program in, in Oakland where they've got a dispensary market and you've got to apply for a permit to, to sell and that they are giving preference. You get like bonus points 
if you've been to jail for mm. a marijuana-related expense, a cannabis-related expense, or uh, uh, um, not expense, uh, uh, whatever, uh, uh, if you went to jail for mm. being a seller. And it's interesting because they're the ones that know the market the best. They know the product. They know the customers. They know what sells. They know how to do it. Here in Ontario, you know, I'm a little bit worried. We're going to have all these executives from the essentially the LCBO. They're the ones in charge. I don't know how much these people really know about the market. So, you know, part of the thing for me is I, I would love to see this social justice aspect where if we can bring in people who were targeted, who did go to jail for, you know, what we're now condoning as, as an absolutely legal thing, uh, um, you know, they might have a valuable perspective in terms of yeah. how that market should shape up. Yeah. I would I would say that I just off the top of my head, and maybe there's something wrong with this. There, there always can be when I'm off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, I think I mean, something along the lines of uh, if you've been uh, charged and, and successfully convicted of a, uh, you know, nonviolent, you know, no violent crimes and your only charge was like possession or sale of right. marijuana or something like that, Correct. then you should basically get f- priority access. So yeah. like, right, well, right of refusal for jobs yeah, absolutely. in that industry, if for nothing else than, than you know, than through penance of, That's... you know, locking people up for doing something <laughs> that didn't hurt anybody. You know, as um, long as they, as long as they don't have any other charges, I think not only let them go, but give them a job. Yeah, well, absolutely. Or at least offer them. And one. recidivism <laughs> is a huge problem. Yeah, right? recidivism. People who've been in jail going back to jail. So this would absolutely solve a uh, a large social problem. While also, I think you know, if if because it is going to be a crown corporation, if they do well and meet that customer demand, it's going to mean more money coming to our government. You know, going into things like schools and healthcare. So, yeah, but it's kind of an interesting time. The markets have been really, really shaky for the past week, mm-hmm. and certainly this uh, these cannabis ETFs. The one that's been around the longest, the ticker symbol is HMMJ. So that's the one I sort of know off the top of my head. And you know, I've been looking at it. It's down about I'd say about twenty five to thirty percent, mm-hmm. which again is more than the average when these things are when we invest in riskier sectors of the market. Um, they tend to when the markets are good, they go up more than the average. But when the market falls, they go down more than the average. Uh, But it's the type of thing where, you know, certainly I'm kind of looking at them as, you know, anytime people get shaky and people start to get afraid with the market, that's when I start to get greedy. You know, I'm not sure this is the bottom. I don't have like a crystal ball. It certainly could go down more. I don't know. But I'm starting to get whenever I see everyone else kind of, you know, getting nervous and getting afraid about the stock market. That's when I kind of look at my accounts. I see, hey, is there any cash kicking around? And I start to look at things that that I can buy on sale essentially mm. and you know if if this is a sector of the economy that I liked you know a week ago or two weeks ago when the market was good then you know it's a sector of the economy that I would really like today mm. yeah so uh, the uh, provided a really good uh, example I think there to, to talk about but of course you you work with uh, a lot more than uh, just uh, cannabis uh, yeah portfolio that's a stuff. very very small uh, but if people I guess had segment. had uh, wanted some coaching on that particular aspect I suppose they can call you up but uh, yeah. uh, I want to spend at least some of the time here talking about the sort of uh, the other areas there as well of course we're gonna tease uh, leading forward to having Jennifer from Coal power on a yeah. little bit who's gonna talk a lot about green energy so maybe like yeah. is there a place in between those two things is aside totally. from cannabis and clean tech. Well, what, what you want to understand is that, and so with co-power, they're what's considered a green bond. Mm-hmm. And, and what's important to understand is the difference between stocks and bonds. Stocks are kind of the rabbit in the race, right? So they go up and then go down and then go up and then go down. They're very kind of jerky, very, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, you can't predict what They've the hair is going to do. They've had a lot of coffee. Do. You got it. Uh, <laughs> whereas bonds are kind of the turtle in the race. 
Mm. And, you know, it's sort of the slow, steady approach. There's nothing sexy about bonds. You know, it's this very slow and steady approach. And what's really interesting about the markets right now, and again, everyone wants like this nice, simple, clean one thing that explains why the markets have gone down. Obviously, these are hugely complex issues, so I'm not going to pretend that I know why the markets have fallen over the last week. But certainly something I'm hearing a lot about is this fear that interest rates are going up that we've had these historically low interest rates for so long. And as the Bank of Canada and in, US, in the US, the Federal Reserve starts to increase interest rates, that sort of puts a damper on the economy. It so, sort of slows things down. It raises the cost of borrowing, right? So it sort of slows everything down a little bit. And I think people are starting to be worried about that. But what it also does is when interest rates go up, the value of a lot of our tr traditional like market bonds goes down. And the reason for that is, you know, let's say uh, a month ago, I could buy a 10-year government of, a, of Ontario bond for, let's say, 3%. Well, if the Bank of Canada raises the interest rates by a quarter percent, then now, this month, I could buy that same 10-year government of Ontario bond at 3.25%. So the bond I bought last month at 3%, it's not worth as much anymore, right? It's got a lower interest rate, and I'd have to hang on to that for like 10 years. So the value of that would fall. So we're in this really funny situation right now where stocks have fallen in the last week. Normally, we would expect bonds to go up because they kind of have this inverse correlation. Mm -hmm. Normally, when stocks fall, bonds go up. But because people are worried about interest rates, bonds haven't really actually gone up. They've kind of stayed flat. Mm. And so, you know, what that opens up is, is, in my mind, the need for a greater level of diversification in our portfolios. And some people get that from gold. You know, they want to own gold bars. Some people have that from, you know, sort of real estate or other things that they would expect to do differently. One thing that I'm really excited about that offers us greater diversification are uh, green bonds and community bonds and these sort of impact investments. Now, that's a broad term. So I'm talking about very specifically the bond piece of it. But it's interesting because if we were to talk about some of these green bonds, and we're going to learn more about co-powers, uh, they are what we consider to be uh, uncorrelated, meaning that no matter what happens in the stock market, no matter what happens in the bond market, these bonds are going to keep earning that consistent, stable return. So obviously, we wouldn't, don't want to put all of our money into that. But I will say that, you know, for me, I own, uh, I own a solar share bond. Uh, I own a CSI, Center for Social Innovation, community bond. And that while all this kind of market turmoil is happening, and I don't have the crystal ball, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, am, I do remain pretty confident that I'm going to keep earning that nice, boring uh, interest payment from my community bonds. Well, we'll be uh, back to get into that a little bit more with Jennifer from Coal Power in just a minute. Thank you. If you're just tuning in uh, now, we're uh, talking to Tim Nash, a friend and co-host of the show today, uh, and also the uh, founder of uh, Good Investing. And we're going to be talking about the Good Investment Fair, which is coming up, and uh, uh, Coal Power is going to be there as well. So Jennifer Absolutely. will be joining us in just a moment after this break to talk about that as well. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT, our wonderful community partners and our podcast. We're going to go now to Megan in the tech booth, who's going to tell us what our music break will be and then we'll be right back. Okay, so for our second music break, we have Noella Charles. This is Unfortunate Love. Dream that loses mine. 
All right, we are back. You're listening to the Green Majority here. We're in the final stretch here, and uh, uh, Tim is going to basically take it away here for the last section. Sure. We're going to have Jennifer on the phone here in just a minute. If she's not already, she is already on the phone. Uh, so, Tim, I'm just going to throw Perfect. it to you. Yeah, yeah so uh, I'll just sort of set the stage, and then Jennifer would sort of love to, to dive into some of the details uh, about Co-Power. But to set the stage for everyone, uh, I'm hosting the Good Investment Fair. It's uh, February 21st, so a week Wednesday at the Center for Social Innovation. It's a drop-in event, so it runs from, I think, about 1 p.m. to about 8 p.m., but the idea is just come by whenever you can. Um, it's I'm describing it as a farmer's market for impact investments, so we've got about nine different organizations that all have these amazing products that are available to retail investors, meaning that sort of you don't need to be a millionaire to invest in this stuff. And that uh, that little game I've got for us is that as people come into the fair, they're going to be given fake money. I've got million-dollar bills, and people are going to be given five million-dollar bills, and then they get to go around and talk to the different organizations and decide who they want to, and I'm using air quotes here, who they want to invest their money with. Um, and so, uh, Jennifer, as we're kind of going through and learning a little bit more about Copower, it might be nice, useful exercises. We're talking through the numbers to pretend that I've got a million dollars that I'm figuring out where the heck I'm going to invest it. And so, help me understand, um, you know, what is Copower, and what would happen if I invested my million dollars with you? Yeah, that's great. Thanks very much, Tim. Uh, so, Copower was founded uh, over four years ago now. And really, our mission has been to help regular Canadian citizens invest in something that they believe in. And so our, we are an impact investment, and any investment that has something that's um, measurable or quantifiable uh, in terms of a social or an environmental benefit is what gives it that impact. So we offer two different green bonds, and uh, our green bonds, uh, we raise and we put directly towards clean energy projects. But specifically, it, uh, we raise money to put towards small-scale clean energy projects. And one of the, the main market opportunities that we found is that small projects can really have a big impact on trying to, re uh, to reduce our overall greenhouse gas emissions. But typically, these smaller project developers don't have access to finance like the larger project developers do. And so our whole goal is to really get Canadians engaged and to get ordinary citizens to you know, allocate part of their portfolio towards uh, into a green bond, which offers a good rate of return. And then we collect and, and um, combine all of these together to put on more small-scale projects. So we have two bonds. We have a, a five-year and a three-year green bond offering up to 5%. And our investors uh, can monitor their their interest in how much they've they've earned so far, and as well, they can monitor how much carbon they've offset, which is a really important piece for a lot of our investors. Absolutely, and I'm a huge fan of the projects that that you guys are financing. Uh, what I really love about it is is sort of the broad scope. So there are uh, a few solar projects in there I've seen. Um, there's what I'm a big fan of is energy efficiency. So I've seen you've done a bunch of LED retrofits where you go in, kind of replace all the inefficient light bulbs with the efficient ones. My understanding is that Co-Power is essentially providing that upfront capital financing for a lot of these buildings to, to retrofit, to put in those LED light bulbs. And then you get paid essentially, I think it's like every month, you get a cut of the energy savings from that building. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly yeah. it. And it, it doesn't sound that sexy, but uh, but to date, we financed over 300 condo buildings in Canada. Amazing. And you can think, you know, a condo building, um, when the board has has some available funds, you know, it's it's really not that attractive to go replace all your LED. You know, most of the condo boards want to want new gym right. equipment or they want new patio furniture. Yeah. Please so upgrade can... my cardio equipment. That's what <laughs> I want. Exactly. You know, and the you know all of the tenants want to see something that they can really touch. So, um, so LED and, and energy efficiency retrofits tend to get stalled or, or pushed back mm-hmm. for for another time. And so we provide you know it's around thirty to fifty thousand dollars. So yep. we provide that financing so that the condo board can can start and do it. And the energy savings, you know, they start to see it monthly. Yep. So with the energy savings, then they they pay that back, and and that. That's the money that pays down the loan and generates interest for our bondholders. Amazing. And so, um, and my understanding is that you've, Copair has been pretty successful. I got an email saying that you've almost sold out of your, is it, I think it's a $10 million tranche, this this issuance that you've got right now. Um, is that right? How close are you guys yeah, to selling yeah, that Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been phenomenal. Um, for the past few months, we've seen an incredible amount of growth. And so... Uh, so we need some time to uh, to allocate that to projects. So we announced just earlier this week that we had uh, under a million left, and we've been selling about a hundred thousand a day. So wow. as of today, it looks like we have about four hundred thousand left in green bonds. Amazing! So my million dollar bill is going to put you over that. Uh, that, yeah, that level. Yeah. That's okay. I would prob- I'd ask you to just hold on to that for a little <laughs> while. So we're working hard on our next fund, which would be available, you know, April, possibly May. Okay. And so maybe you could just hold on to that and get ready for our, our, our next fundraise. Absolutely. And that um and so really, you know, the I think the things that people need to be aware of as they're considering this. So, you know, anytime I'm I'm talking a client through the, the sort of the risks and the opportunities, the opportunities are clear. Uh, you know, you invest in energy efficiency, renewable energy projects, um, you earn, you know, up to five percent on your bond. I think it's the, the five year bond is five percent and the three year bond is three and a half percent, if memory serves me right. And there are some different little variations that that uh, uh, people could consider. But that, um, and then on the risk side, just because I think it's it's important to kind of talk about this stuff, is that people need to be deliberate that their money is locked in. That if you buy a three-year bond, your money is locked in for that three years. If you buy a five-year bond, your money is locked in for that five years. Um, that it is a fixed rate, right? So that five percent a year, it seems awesome, like really, really solid return right now. But if interest rates were to go up substantially over the next little bit, uh, it wouldn't be quite as attractive. And then what I'd love just to hear from you is that the worst case scenario, right, with any bond, with any investment, we should always look at that worst case scenario. Um, and that my understanding is that the worst case scenario isn't that bad in that what I'm investing in, I'm not investing in your company, I'm investing in the projects themselves, which have that value. Do you mind just talking me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. And and that's absolutely true. So the um, so the way that we structure it is we've set up a separate entity called Copower Finance, and that's the entity that makes the loan and that issues the green bonds. So at the end of the day, our bondholders don't have any exposure to us, and at the end of the day, they directly own the asset. So worst case scenario, if something were to happen to us, 
knock on wood, uh, we can get an accounting firm to come in and make sure that those payments are continuous and make sure right. our bondholders still get paid. But you did bring up a really good point about risks, and it's definitely worthwhile for me um, to address this. We are available to the majority of Canadians, um, but as you mentioned, we're what's called a private placement. And so, you know, a, a traditional stock uh, you can buy and sell at any point in time, um, but with us, you are locked in for that three- or five-year period. And so for many investors, including a lot of young investors, it's not always a great time to put too much of your portfolio yep. away in something that you can't grab or something that you know you might need in, in a year or two. So we really try and emphasize that as a private placement, we're really trying to be a small part of your portfolio, 10% or less. And so for a lot of young or investors that are starting out, it might not be uh, a direct fit, um, uh, but it really depends on the investor. So yeah. if you are comfortable with locking it away, uh, and, and we're not guaranteed like a nope. GIC. There's so, always so risk. It, there's always risks, absolutely. So we really ask uh, our investors to give us a call, and we're happy to share all of our, our details and that are outlined in our offering memorandum. Jennifer, I just wanted to uh, jump in here. First of all, just so you know, we've we've got just under five minutes uh, left, and and I would uh, like uh, hopefully to to let Tim ask at least one more question. So I just I, I'm not even sure I have, it's a question so much as a as a comment, but um, you know, on that idea of the you know the individual projects not necessarily seeming um, sexy. So for instance, like uh, the energy retrofits and stuff like that. You know, one of the aspects that I'm really keen to talk about on on pretty much every show is always the psychological aspect because because you know, after a decade of doing this show, I've come to the conclusion, fairly clear conclusion, that if you know humans were perfectly rational, we wouldn't have a climate crisis. And so we have to always address the emotional and psychological aspects as well if we want to make real progress. Um, so the, I think there's really what I was interested in there is that sort of that idea that like you know I've said well, we're going to put ten million dollars in energy retrofits that doesn't really sound super exciting to people. But when even if it's the same amount of money, but if it's in like a ten percent into ten companies, and you now get to say you're doing energy retrofits and solar panels and like the list just sounds longer. <laughs> It's, yeah. It gives you the feeling of having more impact. And I think there's really a psychological excitement component there, which is which is relevant. I think that really helps make people feel even better and more confident about what they're doing. And I was wondering if, I guess the question component of that is, did, do you feel on your side like that's true? Do you feel like that impacts people's interest in investing? Um, in funds? Uh, definitely. No, definitely. And I would echo a lot of your sentiments, especially around the LED you, again, it, it's not something that people can see and touch. And you know, when you have a beautiful picture of a of a solar project, you know, in in the middle of a field, you know, it looks beautiful. It photographs well, but no one wants to go into a condo building's parking lot and take a picture <laughs> of the industrial looking light bulbs. Like it's just it it's less uh, it's less attractive. But you're right. You know, LEDs are some of the most economical energy efficiency projects that you can do. And when we were looking at the study of, we financed over 6 million uh, LED retrofits in total. And when we looked at the impact that some of these projects in Alberta have, because Alberta has such a higher carbon intensity than some of the other projects, even having 5% of our LED portfolio in Alberta, it, it accounts for 40% of the total carbon impact. Um, because their 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 grid is they still rely you know forty percent to fifty percent on coal, and so 
when you tell the numbers and you tell the story and you shape the story for our investors, that's really what gets them excited mm-hmm. um, is more on the results side. But I would say fundraising and, and just saying energy efficiency, definitely. It, it definitely has helped to have a diversified portfolio of projects. Absolutely. And and so maybe I'll just wrap up here by um, just reminding everyone that CoPower is going to be at the Good Investment Fair, February 21st in Toronto at CSI Annex and uh, one of nine different organizations. So CoPower does some amazing work. Uh, they've got a really compelling offering right now. Uh, there are other options, right? So come on out, meet the folks at CoPower, meet everyone else. Um, I, I guess the last thing I just need to squeeze in is that because the markets are down right now on the psychology side, I'm just wondering, Jennifer, has have you noticed a, a pickup in interest or a decline in interest that in volatile markets, it seems to me that something that's really kind of uh, standard and sort of locked in that you don't have to think about it as much, that that might be really appealing to people. Have, have you seen a, a little surge in demand since the market started to, to get yeah. a little volatile? Yeah, definitely, Tim. I I would say that over the last few months, just as markets have become incredibly um, expensive on on certain valuation metrics, that we've seen people who are looking for other solutions. And so, so coal power is one, as you mentioned, there's there's going to be a few at at the fair, but there are a number of growing market opportunities for, you know, for investments that are outside of the market. So uh, you mentioned there's going to be a few at the fair. Um, there's other resources for people to look into, but private placements really can have a strong diversification for your overall portfolio. So, you know, we've we have had investors say, "Oh, I want to take you know a little bit off the top. I, I want to take some of my equities allocation off the table." Right. And parking it in a GIC or or in a term deposit, it's great to see that there's a number of other options out there that people are are truly and genuinely interested in. And I, I feel like. You know, over the last year, there's definitely been a growth of investors looking for investments that that match their own um, that match their own Great. values. All right, I'm afraid uh, we'll have to leave you right there. We're right up at uh, the end of the show. Thank you so much uh, for your time, uh, Jennifer. We'll hope to see you at the fair, and and thanks to Tim as well. Any of the links for any of the information you, we've talked about today will be on the show post. So check out greenmajority.ca if you miss something, you want links, you want to get tickets to the fair, dates, times, references, articles, everything on the website greenmajority.ca. That's all the time we have for those. So much. Uh, thank you so much to our listeners, to our guests, to my t- uh, texts, to the sun for shining, and everyone else under uh, the sun. Have a good green week, and we'll see you all real soon. Thank you.